The Canadian election is underway and abortion is once again center stage. Abortion advocates in the United Kingdom rejoice as the government's COVID response has led to an all-time abortion rate high. The World Health Organization escalates its attacks on pro-life laws. An NHL player promised his former girlfriend millions of dollars to abort their child, then didn't pay up. And a study shows that women who visit crisis pregnancy centers are less likely to abort their children. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pulse. My name is Peter, host of the show, and with me again is my good friend and wonderful co-host, Cam. How are you, sir? I am doing okay, Peter. The, the interns who have been working with me for the last four months and two months, respectively, here in Calgary have just headed on home. It's a time of transition. There is definitely a, a quieter and, and much more solemn office now that all of these wonderful interns have headed home. Um, but we're into recruitment mode for next year, and so it, it, we're hanging in there. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well as well. The same thing can be said about our internship here in the greater Toronto area. The interns have gone home. The office is quiet. But as you said, we're in recruitment mode. We are looking for future interns as well. So if you want to learn how you can be equipped with pro-life apologetics, how you can spend several months on the streets of Calgary or the greater Toronto area, do reach out to us to learn more about our internship programs. They're some of our favorite programs, and uh, we really would like to get you uh, I'd like to see you join the programs uh, to change minds, to save lives, and to work to transform our culture. Cam, before I get into the news, well, first I want to introduce the, the Pulse. If this is your first time listening, this is The Pulse, as I mentioned, a monthly roundup of important and interesting pro-life news, abortion-related news, rather, from around the world, brought to you from a pro-life perspective. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing this with your friends, your family, and everyone else. Again, before I get into the news, I'd like to inform you that our Instagram account has been disabled by Instagram. Apparently, having a pro-life podcast and abiding by the community standards just cannot go together too well. And so we had to be disabled, which is extremely frustrating. We've appealed, but uh, apparently there's no response. So if you have Instagram's contact information, do reach out to us on behalf, to reach out to them on behalf of us. But if not, and if you still want to help our podcast, if you want to continue to get more people in, involved in the abortion pro-life movement, if you want more people to be equipped with good pro-life apologetics, and if you want people to be aware about what's happening in the abortion war from a pro-life perspective, please help us out. Share our content on social media, share our content with your friends and families in your WhatsApp groups or wherever it might be, and do help us reach more people. And with that, Cam, we head to the first point of news for this month. The Canadian election is well underway and politicians are traveling across the country doing what they do best. And that is making an abundance of promises with the hopes of gaining or perhaps regaining power. And as we've seen over the course of the last several elect election cycles, some of the promises that they are making have to do with abortion. Here's a snapshot. Justin Trudeau, the current prime minister of Canada and the leader of the Liberal Party, is doing his absolute best to make sure that Everyone knows and nobody forgets that he is the biggest fan of abortion here in Canada. And he's made a, he has made a commitment to give $366,000 to the University of New Brunswick to research ways to provide more access to surgical abortion. Now, we've talked about the case uh, in the past where there's a private abortion clinic not receiving federal funding. And this is something that Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party is very much against. 
Now, you might ask once again, are there no abortions happening in New Brunswick? Well, tragically, there are. There are two hospitals who are being funded through the New Brunswick Medicare. That's the public health care system in New Brunswick. But like we've said before, Trudeau wants federal dollars to go to the private clinic that's there as well and any more private clinic that will pop up. The federal health minister, Patty Haidu, says, and I quote, we can't tolerate that even one woman in this province doesn't have access to the kind of care that she needs, doesn't have access to the full reproductive choice that allows her to control her own body, end quote. In liberal land, there's no such thing as an unwanted abortion. There's just such, there's just such a thing as not enough abortions. Now, Jagmeet Singh, who's the leader of Canada's new Democratic Party, he was not to be outdone. And so he introduced a candidate for the NDP by the name of Claire Haxell. Claire Haxell is the executive director of an abortion clinic in Toronto. It's called the Choice in Health Clinic, and she is an advocate of more late-term abortions. She's also the board member of the National Abortion Federation of Canada, where she works to ensure that abortion care is accessible and carried out to the highest standards. Jagmeet Singh has also mentioned in a tweet that, and I quote, abortion is a fundamental right, end quote. Now, ironically and, and fascinatingly, Singh made an August 12 tweet posing with his pregnant wife. And the tweet states, we are having a baby. Now, this seems to be the dirty little secret of Canadian politicians. They know that the human in the womb is a baby, but they conveniently forget that fact when they're discussing the abortion on the public stage. Now, you might be asking, okay, what about the conservative leader, the conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole? Well, we've talked about him in the past as well, and unfortunately, he is no friend to the cause of preborn children. At a recent campaign stop, he reiterated, and I quote, I'm pro-choice, and I am a pro-choice leader, period, end quote. He went on to say, and I quote, let me be perfectly clear. As a pro-choice leader of this party, I will make sure that we defend the rights of women to make the choice for themselves with respect to their own health. We will make sure abortion services are available from one ocean to the other, end quote. Yeah, Peter, this is uh, <laughs> a bit of a quagmire that we are in here in Canada. I'm sure some of our friends to the South and from around the world um, may be surprised just how much all of these different political leaders are trying to outdo one another with regards to abortion, that um, there's very, very few politicians that have either the courage or the background or the conviction to stand up in support of preborn children in support of pro-life laws. We, we do have a handful of wonderful, wonderful um, politicians, some of whom we've featured on the show, Peter, you and I, whether it's Arnold Viersen, whether it's um, MP Kathy Wagenthal, countless others. And so with no disrespect to those that are working incredibly hard, it boggles my mind how desperately Canadian politicians stumble over each other trying to demonstrate their support of abortion. Um, especially those like Aaron O'Toole, who, how are you going to out liberal the liberals? How are you going to out pro-abortion somebody who has made abortion the hill that they will die on and that they want everyone to pay attention to it? It just um, does not make any logical sense, let alone political sense, in, in my humble opinion. 
Though with that said, I do want to give a few quick shout outs to people that um, I, I think have, have well earned it. And first of all, the, the pro-life representatives in New Brunswick, you mentioned um, how though abortions are publicly funded through the, the hospitals there, the private abortion facility and, and no others receive any federal money. And that is due in large part to the incredible work of those working diligently within the pro-life movement in New Brunswick and throughout the Maritime Provinces. Um, can't say enough with regards to their courage and their determination, how hard they have worked and fought to ensure that preborn babies will be killed in as few places as possible, most especially that um, abortion facility, the private abortion facility. So huge shout out to our supporters and listeners from New Brunswick, um, those that are keeping up the good fight out there. And then just a, a quick kind of not a spoiler alert, I, I suppose, but just a quick mention that we have and we will continue to have people from the political arm of the pro-life movement featured on the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Though we ourselves are an educational entity um, trying to equip people with the tools that they need to change minds and save lives, obviously we recognize that politics are a powerful tool in achieving both of those two ends. We featured people like Tabitha Ewart, Alyssa Galob and countless others on the program before, Peter, we will continue to do so. Um, and I think that there will be a lot of very valuable insight into how pro-lifers can best navigate this election here in Canada and how people from abroad as well can influence what is happening in Canada through their commentary and through their feedback that they offer to these Canadian leaders that I'm sure they will prioritize the feedback and opinions from their own constituents and from Canadians. However, I think that it's important that the world puts them on notice of just how horrifying and just how um, inappropriate it, it is that Canada's leaders have taken such a staunch pro-abortion stance. And so regardless of where you are, whether you're in Canada, whether you're in America, whether you're around the world, please do connect, whether on Twitter, whether on Instagram, whether on um, simply um, email or even snail mail, let our Canadian leaders know just how appalling it is that they are, are squabbling over each other and over abortion rights supporters and not 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 even to mention pandering to, to pro-lifers and, and the sizable number of pro-lifers that there are in Canada, but just how much they have forgotten the pre-born children of this nation. And so please do reach out. Please do learn more about how you can get involved in this election and other elections, whether local, provincial, or federal in Canada and in your home country, wherever that may be. Thank you, sir. And with that, we head to the United Kingdom, where abortion activists are rejoicing as the COVID-19 restrictions and the temporary deregulation of some abortion laws have led to an all-time high on abortion procedures. Now, in the UK, abortion is banned at 24 weeks after 24 weeks, and the approval of two doctors is necessary to secure abortion pills, with the first pill having to be taken in a physical clinic. Now, these regulations were dispensed with last year with Boris Johnson's Department of Health permitting abortion pills to be taken at home, eliminating the requirement to take the first pill in a clinic, and reducing the necessary approval to one doctor. According to Phoebe Arslanagic-Wakefield writing for City AM, the elimination of these regulations resulted in the spike in the abortion rate, which reached a record high of 210,860 babies killed. That's 210,860 babies killed. And this is what she writes. 
And I quote, the record numbers of abortions reported for 2020, most of them early terminations, show that these reforms have worked. In this context, these figures are excellent news. In the challenging circumstances of the pandemic, through quarantines, reduced public transport services, shielding and stay-at-home orders, access to abortion was safeguarded. This is despite the sharp reduction in many routine medical procedures and appointments seen in 2020 as a result of the pandemic, pandemic, including GP consultations, referrals, and blood tests, end quote. Now, let's be clear for a moment. These weren't exactly abortion reforms, or they weren't, you know, told and, and, and broadcasted as abortion reforms. They were told to, to be temporary public measures. But activists, having successfully expanded abortion access during this pandemic, are now pushing to make these measures permanent. According to Arslanagic Wakefield, she says, and I quote, we need to do much better on women's health care. Retaining the abortion reforms is a risk-free, open goal for the government. But it is just a start for ministers who need to stop dragging their feet and enshrine better access to abortions for women across the country, end quote. Yeah, Peter, unfortunately, this hits very close to home in that this was something that both you and I recognized when the, the pandemic first started to, to unfold, I suppose. This was the, the impetus behind launching even this podcast, the Pro-Life Guys podcast, recognizing that our teams of people would not be able to have the same kind of outreach that they normally would on campuses, at public high schools, um, street corners, and on doorsteps, realizing that we needed to find other ways to get into um, – people's day-to-day routines and whatnot. And and it's tragic to realize, as we tragically foresaw, that abortion rates have increased and that these um, stay-at-home orders, these limitations on medical services have not hindered abortion whatsoever. And tragically, they've driven them up through the roof. I think that this should not come as a surprise, unfortunately, to any of our listeners. However, it should challenge us to double down with our efforts, that we need to push back, not just legislatively, to make sure that these temporary measures, as you had mentioned, don't become um, permanent reforms to abortion access in the UK and around the world. Certainly, we've spoken with people like Alison Santafonte and others who have spoken about temporary measures in America, in Canada, around the world, um, who have cautioned countries, cautioned listeners to make sure that we are ready to answer the call as soon as we have opportunity to roll back these temporary measures to ensure that we do. So I think that it's absolutely horrifying to see the numbers of children who have been killed in this high stress, high uncertainty time. And though I applaud our our colleagues working in the UK, uh, whether Ashling or James or the others working for CBR UK and other organizations over there that we featured on this program, um, it's certainly a call to action for those in the UK or with connections in the UK that we need to protect these preborn children as desperately as we have ever done so. And we need to ensure that legislatively, as well as educationally, we increase our efforts to ensure that come next year, we're not seeing another record year. We're not seeing these reforms take place in a permanent capacity. We're not seeing people continuing to 
kill their children within the supposed comfort of their own homes, but rather they are being educated and supported so those children are being reared within the comfort of their own homes. So we are providing true comfort to those who are experiencing challenging pregnancies. And how horrifying it is that this journalist recognizes that even as other much more necessary medical procedures have been canceled or delayed or rescheduled, um, abortion services were not delayed, not hindered in any meaningful way. How is it that we celebrate the delay of blood tests and GP visits and consultations and all other sorts of medical um, procedures and consultations, which are far more necessary than abortion, but saying, even though we poorly serve so many others in the UK, we celebrate the fact that we continue to improve the service of our clients, those seeking abortions. I think that's absolutely chilling, the fact that they would celebrate something such as this. And I think that it shows all the more need for education. We touched previously about the, the Canadian election. I think that this, again, points to the fact that education is necessary. It's necessary to transform the hearts and minds of people so that there is no longer the desire for abortion, regardless of what these legislative um, abortion advocates might be trying to do in, in dark rooms and, and um, tucked away corners, trying to grow abortion access. Abortion access will become less and less relevant the more we make abortion more and more unthinkable. And so we need to make abortion far more challenging for people to accept within their lives as they recognize the humanity of preborn children. And in doing so, not only will we make the point moot that we need greater access because the access won't be necessary, but also it'll mobilize more and more people to push back against these very destructive, um, life-threatening changes to abortion access restrictions in the UK and around the world. Thank you, Kim. Now, we've talked in the past about how the World Health Organization and other big entities are abortion supporters and pushing abortion where they can. And well, we have another point to share where the World Health Organization is preparing to escalate attacks on pro-life laws. According to the Center for Family and Human Rights, the WHO is escalating attacks on countries with legal protections for preborn children. Let me share with you what they write. And I quote, the WHO is working to remove legal as well as medical safeguards around abortion. In 2017, it launched a legal and policy database on abortion intended to eliminate the barriers that women encounter in accessing safe abortion services. The BMJ Global Health Paper seeks to build on that database to draw causal links between pro-life laws and adverse health outcomes from unsafe abortions. For data on health outcomes, the WHO often looks to the work of pro-abortion research groups like the Guttmacher Institute of Planned Parenthood and others who explicitly advocate for liberalized abortion laws. Specifically, this paper focuses on laws mandating waiting periods, parental and spousal involvement, gestational limits, criminalization, provider restrictions, and conscientious objection by healthcare providers. According to the authors, currently WHO guidelines make no recommendations related to these legal interventions, but describe them as regulatory and policy barriers that may influence access to timely, safe abortion care, end quote. 
Peter, I have had very little appreciation for the World Health Organization for quite a long time, and this certainly does not help their cause in any capacity. I've worked with people in many different developing countries, um, Southeast Asia, Africa, Eastern Europe, South America, many, many different countries. And something that rings true time and again is the fact that they want support, not greater access to killing their children that developing nations don't need more services that are going to limit their population growth so that they can flourish. They need more support so that they can care for their children and flourish that way. I think that it's absolutely asinine that we continue to funnel support in that direction, quote unquote, supposed support of these mothers, of these families, of these nations under the guise of reproductive health and national development when really what we're sending over are suction tubes and curettes to tear apart tiny children. I think that's absolutely bonkers and something that... There, there's very little um, leverage that can be done. I mean, we've, we've got a, a group of unelected officials, generally speaking, within the World Health Organization, and they have taken it as their mandate to ignore many other legitimate genocides around the world. Um, and in so doing, try to build up the current genocide that's happening um, that, that both you and I, Peter, are focused on the genocide of preborn children who are being targeted because of their specific age in a very state-sanctioned and very systematic way um, they're going to turn their backs on countless genocides that need to be stopped and try to increase the bloodshed of preborn children. Um, this, this isn't necessarily something that can be changed by a, a few letters sent. Um, I, I wish that it was. However, it's definitely something that we need to continue to encourage and support our, our connections, our, our friends and supporters from around the world who are um, doing the work that needs to be done on the ground in these developing nations. And, and I think it's important to recognize as well that it's not just the developing nations that they're pressuring. We're looking at countries like Malta. We're looking at countries like Poland. We look at, we're looking at tremendous numbers of countries around the world that are very, very developed indeed. And I think that in many ways, we need to challenge the definition of what it means to be a developed nation, right? Uh, certainly, a lot of the focus pivots around socioeconomic status and, and GDP and, and things of this nature. And yet, we look at these nations that are supposedly below us here in Canada, and, and we scorn their love and appreciation of the family when really is this not the cornerstone of a nation? I, I'm sure that we we have had and will continue to have this point come up through our podcasts and whatnot, Peter. Um, but the tremendous amount of respect and, and amount that we can learn as the quote unquote developed nations here in the Western world um, from these other nations that continue to grow and flourish because of the, their focus on the family as it were. Um, this is something that, that the World Health Organization is completely oblivious of, and that's why they're receiving such pushback from nations around the world that, that they're trying to smuggle abortion into over and over again. If we were to smuggle in some support that would actually help these families, help these nations, uh, we would see the, the flourishing of all countries far more quickly, far more efficiently than if we just kept killing their children. Thank you, sir. Before I head on to the next point of news, I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't yet subscribed to our YouTube channel and hit that notification bell, please do so, so that you force YouTube and Google to inform you when good quality pro-life news and pro-life content comes out. So please hit that notification bell and that subscribe button as we continue on here. And we continue on with the story of an NHL player. NHL player Evander Kane of the San Jose Sharks 
is facing a lawsuit for not paying his former girlfriend part, his former partner, who was his girlfriend, millions of dollars for aborting their child. Evander Kane allegedly agreed to pay his former girlfriend, Hope Parker, over $2 million to abort a baby that they had conceived together, but changed his mind about the amount just before she gave him proof that she had gone through and carried through with the abortion. Allegedly, Kane's two other children with Parker had also been aborted, with the hockey player paying her $125,000 to get the second abortion. Now, this is not the first time we've heard of athletes pressuring or coercing or whatever it might be their girlfriends or their partners to abort their children. According to Slate.com, and Cam, you may have mentioned this in the past on the podcast before, but J.J. Redick and his ex-girlfriend Vanessa Lopez had what was called an abortion contract, which stated that he would pay her $25,000 in exchange for getting an abortion if she was pregnant with his child. Now, Cam, what do you make of all this? Well, I, I think the first thing that, that we need to stay focused on is the tragedy of these three children um, that, that Evander Kane parented and then killed um, very early in their um, in their lives. Certainly, a massive tragedy and, and tragedy for all children who have been killed by abortion. I think that it 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 again is just mind blowing that. This happened so often, Peter, you and I speak to people on street corners and on doorsteps who say that abortion needs to be accessible largely for those on the fringes of, of, of society, those who can't afford to care for children. And yet time and again, we find that when we go to these neighborhoods that may be from a lower socioeconomic bracket, they are the ones who are the most pro-life, the most staunchly against abortion. And here we have somebody who's a professional hockey player, J.J. Redick, professional basketball player, um, who, though I obviously, for those who who follow sports, know that Evander Kane is in some very hot water with his financial situation. But but largely speaking, these people who are making millions and millions of dollars a year, who can't handle caring for a child, um, who can't um, suffer the inconvenience of their lifestyle of having children in into their lives and whatnot. These abortion contracts are a massive problem, and it's not just something that um, happen on this professional level. I, it, it horrifies me. It has caused me to lose all of my appreciation for several players. I, I was once. I, um, <laughs> I, I was once a, a massive JJ Redick fan. I, I was a big fan of his while he was at university playing for Duke. And when I realized this, I realized that I can no longer support. Um, these antics and and whatnot from a player that I had once respected tremendously because of what appeared to be a lot of support within his local community. I think that it's something that is um, happening all too often at the professional level, but it happens, Peter, and I'm sure that you've seen it as well on the person-person level that we're interacting with. I, I remember speaking to a fella at Mount Royal University here in Calgary that said that if his girlfriend had ever become pregnant, he had already gotten her to sign in agreement that she would have the abortion because he couldn't fathom the idea that as a university student, he would be forced to care for the quote unquote consequences of his own actions. Um, these abortion contracts are disturbing, they're horrifying, and they're something that speaks to a deep, deep selfishness within a, a particular demographic of society. I, I have spoken with far too many people who have had abortions to say that all abortions are done purely out of selfishness, but I think that there are far too many that do happen out of a very deep, very twisted, um, selfish desire 
for their own convenience. And I think that Evander Kane in this news um, should rightly horrify and challenge people's perspective on abortion. I've seen in the news people with their outcries of of, of this form of whether it's coercion or, or pressure, as you mentioned, towards abortion. And I think that I, I hope and I pray that this is something that will cause many people to pause and consider their support of abortion and consider if it's inappropriate for Vander Kane to pay his ex-girlfriend $2 million to have an abortion, then why is it wrong or why is it okay for people to simply suggest or pressure or nudge people in that direction? We need to have far more systemic change and the hearts and minds that need to be changed are not simply those within the low socioeconomic demographics that people think are having abortions, but rather the hearts and minds of all Canadians and all people around the world, regardless of their socioeconomic bracket. Thank you, Cam. And with that, we head to our final news item. And with that, we head to our final news item. A new, a new research paper has found that pregnant women who are considering an abortion and who visit a crisis pregnancy center or a CPC, as they're called, are less likely to choose abortion. Between August of 2017 and May of 2018, the researchers recruited 857 women, pregnant women, who were searching for abortion services online and had them complete a number of surveys, a baseline survey and then a four-week follow-up survey. And through this research, they found that pregnant mothers who visit CPCs are about 20% less likely to choose abortion than pregnant women who don't visit one. Now, it's interesting to note that in the author's conclusion, they suggest that the higher rate of pregnant women choosing not to abort after visiting a CPC must be at least in part because these centers are lying to the women who visit them. This is what they write, and I quote, CPCs may be providing resources to people who are considering continuing their pregnancy and or they may be misleading people about the care and referrals they provide related to abortion. Pregnant people need access to accurate information, decision support, and resources to make the pregnancy or abortion de decision that is best for them, end quote. Now, Cam, as we know, this isn't the first time that crisis pregnancy centers have been accused of providing false information to women. As pro-life organization Live Action reported and noted several years ago, the abortion advocacy organization NARAL Pro-Choice America conducted an undercover investigation into CPCs called Unmasking Fake Clinics, in which the group accused these centers of misleading women with lies such as this one. And I quote, more than 60% of the locations intentionally referred to the fetus as baby and told our investigator she was already a mother because she was already pregnant. End quote. That was the accusation. That was the lie that the preborn child, that the preborn fetus, the human fetus in the mother's womb happened to be a baby and that that mother happened to already be a mother. Cam, what do you make of this? And thus we see how far they're willing to scrape the bottom of the barrel to try to bring any kind of accusation and levy any kind of complaint against these pregnancy care centers. We've had the beautiful opportunity to speak with several different people representing different um, pregnancy care centers in Canada and around the world. We had a very recent episode with Mary Helen Mills from Aid to Women in Toronto and the incredible work that they're doing. And I think this speaks volumes to the fantastic work and support that's available to mothers experiencing challenging pregnancies. That, that with all of these mothers who are seeking abortion um, access and, and abortion referrals and where they can have their children killed, 
20% of them were swayed from that simply by seeing the volume of resources and support and whatever else it was that was said to them or offered to them and, and supported them with their pregnancy. Mothers don't want to have abortions, generally speaking. From my experience, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, maybe I'll become pregnant so that eight weeks from now I can have an abortion. This isn't a rite of passage for the vast majority of people. And I think this study shows those two things. First, that we have incredible pregnancy care centers across the country and around the world. I think that there are so many incredible mothers and uh, men and women um, working in these pregnancy care centers to support them, not just with the material support that they may need, but also with the emotional, spiritual, psychological support, the friendship, the companionship, whatever it is they may need. They do a phenomenal job. Of, of supporting these mothers. And 20% of these mothers chose life for their children. There are one in five children who were possibly going to be killed that are not killed, that are alive today because of the work of these fantastic support centers. And so I can't speak highly enough of the pregnancy care centers. And yet the dark side of that cloud is, is the opposite, that there are still 80% of these mothers that are persevering with their decision and their, their interest in having abortions. And so I think that speaks volumes to the need of the educational arm of the pro-life movement. Peter, you and I often speak about how the need in the educational arm is not because we're the best or the most important, but rather because we have failed the most severely in many ways over the last several decades in that it is impossible for many pregnancy care centers to make pregnancy easier than how easy abortion is perceived to be. Abortion, though our listeners um, very, very likely know that it is not an, an easy choice. It is something that haunts mothers and fathers for years and decades at times after that decision, um, maybe even leading them into very, very destructive paths in their life that we want to help them um, avoid, first through helping them not choose abortion in the first place and also through helping them find hope and healing after their abortion. But I think it goes to show the fact that Though our, our pregnancy care centers have done a phenomenal job of making pregnancy easier and easier for them, the educational arm of the pro-life movement must make abortion more difficult for mothers to choose. We must humanize the child. We must show the reality of what abortion does to a preborn child and have these compelling conversations so that people realize that they cannot have an abortion regardless of circumstances, regardless of the stage of the de development of their child that the educational arm of the pro-life movement is lagging behind the support. The, the um, pregnancy care centers, the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement has already made abortion largely unnecessary from a socioeconomic and even a, an emotional psychological support perspective. The educational arm of the pro-life movement needs to catch up in many ways. We need to make it unthinkable so that mothers aren't seeking out abortion in the first place, that we have more and more mothers who are no longer walking past pregnancy care centers on their way to get to abortion facilities, but rather walking into these phenomenal facilities to access the support that is already available. And so um, certainly very, very encouraging for those involved in pregnancy care centers. We can't speak highly enough of them and a, a call to action for all others, including those involved in the pregnancy care centers, to look at how we can be more active, more effective within the educational arm of the pro-life movement. Thank you, sir. And that concludes this month's episode of The Pulse, our, our monthly roundup of interesting and important abortion-related news from around the world brought to you from a pro-life perspective. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for staying with us up until this point. I want to remind you what Instagram did to our 
our uh, Instagram account. And so if you could help us out by sharing this content, by sharing it with your friends, sharing it on social media, sharing it in your WhatsApp chats, sharing it on the different social media platforms, wherever it might be, that would help us out tremendously. And if you want to get more involved in the work that we are doing and breaking, bringing good apologetics to the world, and it's going around the world at this point, uh, something that we are extremely humbled by, you can join this mission by becoming a Patreon supporter, a, a patron of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. You can find uh, options for that uh, at patreon.com slash prolifeguys. That's patreon.com slash prolifeguys. Not only will you receive some pretty cool merch, which we're going to update pretty soon because we have new merch that has come in that we're really looking forward to giving away. Uh, but not only will uh, there be options for, for merch and, and for discounts in our online store, but you'll be involved in getting this content out to more and more people about being involved in producing better and better content and helping people understand good pro-life apologetics and correct news from the abortion war. So thank you so much for considering that. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing this episode. Uh, hit us up on your favorite social media platforms as well. Not Instagram because, you know, Instagram and community standards uh, don't like the Pro-Life Guys podcast. But we are on Facebook. We are on Twitter for the time being. And we're on MeWe and Gab as well. I'm sure we're going to stay there. Uh, but do check us out over there. If you want to reach out to us, you can on our website, prolifeguys.com. That's prolifeguys.com. My name is Peter, host of the show. That is Cam, the wonderful co-host. Thank you so much for tuning in once again, and we hope you tune in again next time. Mm -hmm.